Father, we lift our eyes to you, the God who is enthroned in heaven. Keep looking to you, our God, for your mercy. Like servants keep their eyes on their master, like slave girls watch their mistresses for the slightest signal. We pray, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. We're your people, Lord. We need you. We need your help. We need your um, we need you to hold us up because we're weak. Uh, we need a, to, you to steer us because we're wayward. Um, we, we need you to remind us whose we are. And this morning as we read your scriptures, give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, that we might not only understand but respond, that we might not only think but act, um, that your name may become more widely known more widely worshipped. We pray this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So somebody came out and found this note on their windshield. Hi, my name is Jack. I accidentally hit your car. Someone saw me, so I'm pretending to write down my details. Sorry, Jack. You know, we talk about making amends, about making wrongs right. But if anybody's ever apologized to you, it might be your spouse, it might be one of your children, it might be a parent, it might be a friend or a former friend or a colleague at work. Why is it that some apologies seem to ring so hollow? Well, it's usually because we, that we don't see them accompanying that apology with some sort of restitution making amends, making things right. Celebrate Recovery is a wonderful Christian, uh, Christ-centered recovery ministry uh, that we actually hope to bring here to Keystone um, this year yet. And uh, if you are, if you fit in this category, you have habits, hurts, or hang-ups, or have had, uh, we'd love to talk to you. That's kind of a requirement to be involved in this, uh, in this ministry. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step uh, program, if you're familiar with any um, recovery programs for addicts, uh, you know, they usually have 12 steps, and, and Christ, uh, Celebrate Recoveries is based on the Beatitudes, and their principle number six goes like this, I'm going to evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm that I've done to others when possible except when to do so would harm them or others. And one of the things, if you've been uh, a follower of Jesus any length of time, uh, you've come to see that, that God, when he, he calls us freely into his grace, into fellowship with him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which we're going to celebrate this morning through communion, but that, the, but that the, the faith that saves us is also the faith that sends us out to make things right with other people that the Holy Spirit works in our lives to transform us. And part of that transforming is making uh, the vertical relationship, our relationship with God's been made right through Christ. And now through Christ, we make relationships with, that are horizontal right as well. And you're going to see this this morning in the story we read about Jesus and a little man in uh, Luke chapter t uh, 19. So if you want to turn there a while, we're going to read the first 10 verses talking about real repentance real repentance. Repentance is essential for, uh, for faith. Um, if somebody uh, tells you that 
uh, you become a Christian simply by praying a prayer. That's technically true. But if, that, if you are not ready to and prepared to uh, turn from your sin, that's a problem. And so um, tr true, uh, true faith, true Christianity uh, comes with an, a, a readiness to, as the Spirit prompts us, to make amends and make things right. And so we see in uh, this story this morning a, a wonderful example of that. This was actually one of my favorite Bible stories growing up because until I was a sophomore in high school, I was the littlest guy in my school and the littlest guy in my church. Jesus entered, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I see in this story two evidences of grace. The first one is a, an evidence of a, of a simmering grace. That is, that something is happening in Zacchaeus' life that has not yet come to full flower. Now, when G Jesus is passing by and Zacchaeus has an interest in seeing him, you might wonder, is, is it be simply because Jesus by now is a celebrity? Or is it because there's simply a curiosity on the part of Zacchaeus? Or is there something else? And I would say that, that Zacchaeus is more than simply looking to meet a celebrity. That he is intrigued. Because verse 3 says that he is interested to see who Jesus was. Now, you didn't read that in the NLT. But almost every other translation, translation renders it like that. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He's heard about his miracles. Maybe some of them were downplayed. Maybe some of them were, were uh, uh, kind of expansive. Maybe it's more than really what happened. He heard about the teaching. He heard about the friends that he was making with the common folks and the enemies that he was making with people like the Pharisees. But he really wasn't sure who he was. He wants to see him, not just to say he saw him, but he, so that he can make an assessment, who really is this Jesus that I'm hearing about? Now, I say that there was a simmering grace already at work in um, Zacchaeus' life because Jesus tells us that's the way it works. Turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 44. Now, it might be that you read uh, this verse in your quiet time and you're not sure what it means. So you just kind of blow by it, don't really think about it, but it's important that we do. Jesus was having some conflict here with people who were upset about what he was teaching. 
And he said, verse 43, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me. Notice that word, can. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. What's that mean? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that all of us before Christ, all of us are dead in our transgressions and sins. Not sick. We're not having a bad day. We're spiritually dead. Now, if you are dead, you cannot bring yourself back to life unless you're Jesus. No one who is dead can make themselves live again. There has to be some outside force that makes someone live. This is what Jesus is saying. You are spiritually dead, and unless God works in your life, you are not going to respond to me. You're not going to be interested in me. This is the reason why we should, every time we have a quiet time with the Lord, we should be praising him for our salvation because were it not for him, we would not be saved. Something's already going on in Zacchaeus' life. He's already being drawn to God. And it's interesting, Jesus reinforces that in verse 5 when he tells Zacchaeus to come down out of the tree because he says, I must be a guest in your home today. Why must? Because it's an assignment from God the Father. Zacchaeus is on the way. I'm, I'm already, I've been stirring the pot in his life, and I'm already drawing him to you, Jesus. Now you have to make sure you go to his home today because something amazing is going to happen. When I read verses like this and I see the work of God in my life before I ever came to Jesus Christ, I just I overflow with thanksgiving that Jesus Christ, he says at the, uh, the verse 10 here, Jesus Christ says, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. I came to look for you. I came to track you down. And so many times we think about how it was that we came to know Jesus Christ. We remember a prayer that we, were pray uh, that we prayed. We remember how somebody told us about Jesus. But we don't maybe always remember about the times that, that God was convicting of us, us of sin and, and putting an unsettled spirit in our hearts about where we were going and what we were doing and, and what lays ahead for us. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I was a lost, baptized sinner at age 25, about to be a dad, married to a wonderful Christian woman, and I was lost as lost could be unless God came to me that day and said, this child that your wife's about to have you're not only going to have to feed her and clothe her, you're not only going to have to provide shelter for her, but you're expect, I expect you to be a spiritual father to you, to her, and you have nothing out of which to do that. On that day, Jesus sought to save that which was lost. Do you remember that? Do you remember how God sought you out, tracked you down, and you had a collision with the Holy Spirit? Glorious, glorious day. That's why... That's why communion is so marvelous. It's not just that we are saved. It is that we are saved because of the effort and the seeking of God Almighty. I must come to your home today. And Zacchaeus climbs down, verse 6. He's thrilled at that. He takes Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. The other people that were watching this didn't feel the same way. 
Zacchaeus was intrigued, but these people, verse 7, were indignant. When they saw that he was going, Jesus was going to be Zacchaeus' guest, they murmured, he has gone to be the guest of a, what's it say? Notorious sinner. Now you think about how you can say something like that about someone else. The only way you can say that about somebody else is if you do not see yourself as ever having been one of them. In other words, Jesus shouldn't be going to a house like that. He should go to a house uh, of a respectable person, respectable people he can hang out with. That, that's fine. But he, to hang out with this notorious sinner, we've talked about how despised the tax collectors were. This guy's not only a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector of the region. And so he made a lot more money than the tax collectors under him. He was not only rich, he was very rich. How did he get his money? Ill-gotten gains. Oh, it wasn't illegal. It was just immoral. Rome was fine with him collecting as much money as he could take from his people as long as they got what, what he was promising them. Spies. This notorious sinner. And they were indignant that Jesus would go to see somebody like him. Why? Because they failed to see themselves as needy. Do you see yourself as needy? Do you see yourself as someone that had it not been for the grace of God, you would be lost, condemned, under indictment? Do you see yourself still today as a sinner in need of God's ongoing grace? You know, there are many things that grieve us in this land. We look around and, and we're horrified at some of the things that are taking place. I don't know if you saw this, but <clears throat> recently there was a, a gay couple, two men, and the one man provided the sperm and the other man's sister provided the egg. That fertilized egg was implanted in the one man's mother, 63 years old, and she gave birth to this child. I don't even know what to do with that. Who's related to who? And what is going on? We look around at, at, at the, 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 the little lives of the most innocent among us that are being slaughtered day in and day out in this country. Horrible that it happens, even worse that it's sanctioned, legally sanctioned. By the way, if you haven't seen the movie Unplanned, you need to. You, you need to. You might be surprised some of your pro-choice friends might actually go with you. There's one woman in Central Florida, I don't know if you uh, read it on my Facebook uh, this week, who's pro-choice, who went at the urging of a pro-life pro friend, came back, was deeply impacted, and she said, everybody needs to see this, pro-life, pro-choice, whatever. So we see a million babies, almost a million babies a year being killed in this country. We're grieved by this. We, we see integrity has been virtually, uh, seems like anyway, been wiped, wiped off the slate in politics, in business, even in our per interpersonal relationships, and we're grieved by all this. That's good. Grief should drive us to our knees to pray and to cry out for mercy for our country and our culture and all that. But how quickly I, th I worry 
that our grieving takes us to a place of self-righteousness and arrogance and judgmentalism, and we look down on people because we've forgotten that we were once the notorious sinner as well and still struggle. Social media has revealed how horribly it seems like this spirit of self-righteousness has rooted itself in some of us Christians. Now, I'd like to just take a minute for us to just pray for each other in that regard. If you're here and you're married, I want you to pray for your spouse. If you're not married, I want you to pray for yourself. And if you don't have problems with self-righteousness, then pray for your preacher. And if you're a parent, I want you to pray for your children, each of your children as well. That God would purge us of a spirit of self-righteousness and would remind us that we are in and of ourselves broken, messed up, horrific sinners. Every bit as capable of anything as the next person. Would you do that right now? That's where you're at. Just take a minute or two. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that we've manifested a self-righteous spirit, that we've been harsh and unloving to other people that are sinning, are sinners, because we've forgotten that that's who we are too, that but for your grace, that's what we'd still be. And we pray for the next generation, Lord, as they grow up, that you would protect them from that spirit of judgmentalism, that instead they'd be filled with a spirit of love and compassion for other sinners, that they would see themselves in that light and run to you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. It appears that in verse 8, that simmering grace that God was giving to Zacchaeus, pushing him toward Jesus gives way to saving grace. And the one thing about saving grace is that it makes amends. It makes amends. If, if Jesus was simply a celebrity that Zacchaeus was interested in seeing, there would not have been any change in his life. Celebrities don't change people. If you were to get a ticket to go and see the food fighter, Foo Fighters, right? Anybody here a Foo Fighters fan? Anybody know who the Foo Fighters are? Oh, there's one back there, two back there. So if you're going to get a ticket for them uh, May 11th down in North Carolina um, and you spend the day there, you drop your 100 bucks on the ticket, you spend the day there, you enjoy their music, you come home, somebody asks you about the concert, you say, oh, it was great, I loved it. They ask you, did it change your life? 
Probably not. Celebrities don't change people. But Jesus does. And so verse 8, we have this Zacchaeus. He's had this wonderful rabbi at his house for dinner. And totally on his own. There's, the, there's no evidence that Jesus said, I, I want you to do this. He simply says, verse 8, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, which probably not an if, I'm going to give back to them four times what I owe which was twice what the law demanded. If you've cheated anyone, you were supposed to return twice what you owe. Now I'm going to give four times as much. Jesus says in verse 9 that salvation has come to this house, and here's why he knows that. Salvation has come to this home today for or because, as evidenced by, this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. In other words, the amends that he's making give evidence that he is truly a child of God. When Jesus changes us, there seems to be nothing that's too extravagant to do. Some of you have done thing, amazing things in your life once you came to Christ that other people don't even know about. You do, but other people, if they knew about him, would say, that's, a, that's, that, that's foolhardy. That's just stupid. That's ridiculous. It might be giving money away. It might be providing home for somebody. It might have been selling a bunch of stuff. It, it might have been um, making an apology that other people would say, that's ridiculous to make that kind of apology. Corey Ten Boone says four marks of true repentance are acknowledgement of wrong, a willingness to confess it, a willingness to abandon it, and a willingness to make restitution. See, real repentance is more than an apology. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm sorry my words were hurtful, does that hit you differently than if they say, please forgive me for saying what I said. I've gone to everybody that was in the room that night and I've told them that my criticisms were without merit. It's different, right? I'm sorry I said that versus I'm sorry I've said that, please forgive me and I'm making it right with the others. Does it feel differently to you if somebody says to you, I'm sorry I stole materials from the company versus please forgive me for stealing from you. Here's a check for half of what I took. I will pay the remainder over the next 12 months and I will add interest on. Some of you heard me share this story before when <clears throat> I just graduated from seminary and we were here in the area visiting family before I started my ministry in uh, Michigan. And we were with some friends one night, and we got to talking, reminiscing about high school. And, and I was re reminiscing about a night, I was 15, I think, and I was out with a bunch of uh, friends, um, some of whom might be here this morning, and we were just getting into trouble. Any of you guys identify? I didn't think I'd see any hands. And we were... We were we were tearing things up. We were opening gates and letting horses out, and we were dragging hay wagons a quarter mile down the road, and we were burning corn shocks. And uh, so we're, this is 20, 25 years after the fact, having this conversation. And one of our friends said, she goes, I don't, I don't see how you can start your ministry without making that right. 
And I'd never really thought much about it before, which is kind of scary, but I began to think a lot about it. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit in that. And um, so one day before we moved to Michigan, I went down to where the field was. I had, I had been the one who torched a couple of those corn shocks, and I started knocking on neighbors' doors and said, uh, you know, who owns that field over there? And they directed me to somebody a couple of miles up the road, and I went and knocked on their door, and it was an Amish farmer. And, and I said, uh, my name's Keith Rohr, and I said, uh, about 25 years ago, some friends and I were out doing some mischief, and I said, I burned some corn shocks in your field. And he said, I remember that. He was pretty old. And I said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I said, I'm here to make that right. And I said, I don't know what they cost. I don't know what they cost 25 years ago. But I said, if you can come up with a figure and you add 25 years of interest onto that, I said, I, I'm prepared to write you out a check. And, and it, was, it was glorious. He said, he said, I forgive you. He said, Christ has forgiven me. How can I not forgive you? And he didn't know it, but I had $500 to my name. I didn't know how big that check was going to be. And it was not only freeing, uh, you know, the, the free freedom is wonderful, but it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the glorifying God, it's the rightness and the righteousness of that that brings him praise and honor. And I wonder how many of us have things outstanding in our lives that ought to be taken care of. I'm going to close out right now, and what I'd like you to do is just, um, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit quietly at your seat to, you know, David says in the Psalms, search me, O God, know my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me. I want you to ask the same thing of the Holy Spirit, only say, see if there's something in my past that hasn't been taken care of. I need to write somebody a check. I need to ask someone forgiveness to the degree um, that I can. I'm going to make recompense. I'm going to make amends for the hurt I've done to others. Just for the next couple of minutes, invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart.
Father, in our own strength, we're very, very weak people. But in your strength, we're very powerful people. And so I pray if you've spoken to any of us, provide the strength we need to go see whomever we need to see, to call whomever we need to call, to the degree that we are able to make amends and to find the great freedom in that, just the obedience, a life that is greater power. The enemy has fewer hooks in us. He, one less thing that he can accuse us about. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name.